don't know how many of you are in the Genius of Jesus groups, but uh, the opportunity to uh, knead, pun intended here, this truth into our lives is, is really important this week as we think about this idea of, of power. Um, you know, there's a supper, and, and Jesus is the, the head of the table. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of being sort of considered the head of the table or, or that kind of person. I, I was speaking um, in, uh, in Western Africa, and uh, when they picked me up from the airport, they gave me these two guys to care for my every need. And so if I went to pick up my bag, they would pick up my bag and, and, and the, I mean, open the door. And, all, and I'm just not used to being treated like that. Uh, for some odd reason, my wife doesn't see me the way they see me. <laughs> and, and so um, I, I remember getting into my room and I had this you know, hotel and went up the elevator and walked into my room and, and uh, I, I walked in and, and I, I was turning around to greet them goodbye. And as I turned around to greet them goodbye, one of them was kneeling in front of me. And he looked up at me and he says, give me your blessing. And I'm thinking, if you only knew who I was, <laughs> you would run screaming, you know. Um, it, it's, it, you know, being treated like that. So that, that in, in, the, in a Middle Eastern world, that's, that's the way that Jesus would have presumed to be treated in this moment. And yet, instead of taking the place of honor, Jesus did what a servant would do. Now, they didn't have tables with tall legs like and chairs like we do. They laid on the ground or they sat on the ground with one another. And so their feet were in close proximity to one another. And because they wore open-toed shoes um, and, and they lived in a dry and dusty land, their feet were typically not well kept unless they were washed. And so before they sat down for dinner or to eat, um, they would have their feet washed. And usually that would happen at the door. But what happened is, is that everyone who came into this room, there was, there was no servant. There was no one there to do that. Um, maybe they forgot the event planner, you know, just screwed up and, and, and didn't get a foot washer, you know? Um, I mean, geez, just make the phone call and get a foot washer here. But, but it didn't happen. And so Jesus is looking around the room, and, and this is a grand moment for Peter to take his, his leadership role. This is a grand moment for John and all, all these other, you know, disciples that, that we know their names, all of these people to, to really step up to the plate. But no one did. And so Jesus drops his robe, and, and that would have put him in his undergarments, all right? So m most of us are not comfortable standing in public in our underwear. And, and so there would be a towel wrapped around him. And so he took the towel, he wrapped around him as a servant now. He, he's, he's not only... Um, taking the, the form of a servant, in a sense, doing what a servant does, but he's also looking physically, he's looking like a servant, and he washes their feet. He goes from person to person to person with a bowl of water, and, a, and he takes the towel from himself, again, exposing himself and his undergarments, and, and he's drying their feet, and, and they're all like aghast. The only person that we really get recorded in Scripture is Peter, who says, no, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And G Jesus says, well, you can have it one way or the other, Peter. If I don't wash your feet, then you're, 
I don't want anything to do with you. And, and Peter says, well, then wash me from head to toe. You know, go ahead, wash me from head to toe. Take it all. This moment of, of servanthood was one of those marks uh, of, of Jesus' life. It really does go along with his teaching. He, he, has, he has exposed them to what he thought would be the core principles of living a life when God is the king. And his wishes, the king's wishes, are obeyed. That is, you live in his kingdom. And since God is not only the king, but he's the creator, he created life, his wishes are the kind of wishes that allow life to go like it's intended to go. And so when Jesus gave his opening remarks to his, who he was about and what it would look like to bring heaven to earth, he says this in Luke 6. Verse 27, he says, but to you who are listening, I say, I, I love when Jesus says that, but to you who are listening, I say, and it's like, well, what about the rest of them? <laughs> you know, to you idiots who aren't listening, you know, uh, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt. Give to him, give to everyone who asks, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do the others as you would have them do to you. Now, in another rendition of this in Matthew, Jesus says something that uh, is really important. And I think uh, when Matthew says it, it's like those who aren't listening probably perk up. He says, look, you've heard it said. An eye for an eye. You know the phrase, right? The eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That pervades even today. Throughout most of the world, that politic is true. Jesus comes into this world and says, no, no, I'm bringing a new politic. I'm bringing a new ethic. I'm bringing a new way, a, a new sign of what kingdom living looks like. If you want to connect with the Father and, and you want to have the heart of the Father, there's a whole irrational way of treating other human beings, whether they deserve to be treated that way or not. Love your enemies. Do good to those who bless you. You see, there was a, a, a law in the Roman rule that said if a, if a Roman soldier comes along and, and asks you for your, your cloak, your, your, your jacket, that you had to give it to him. Or he would come along and, and say, hey, I want you to carry my pack. But the rule was you could only carry it for one mile. One, one mile is it. And Jesus is laying down sorts of irrational ethic here to say, look, what I want you to do is when you get to that mile, I want you to do something radically different. Why? Because here's the, here's the relationship with power. When someone overpowers you, carry my pack. You feel weak. You feel humble. 
you, you feel worthless. You feel used, abused. You, you feel as if there's a sense in which you have absolutely no power. And so what do you do? You endure to that first mile. You get to that first mile and you throw that pack down. And you make the walk of shame back to where you came from. And Jesus says, no, I, there's a different way of looking at this. When they ask you to put that pack on your back and you walk a mile and they say, okay, you're done. It's like, no, no, no. I think I'll go another mile. And they look at you like, what? Yeah, I'll, I'll take it another mile. You see, it's at that moment where we discover where true power comes from. Power comes from choice. Power comes from understanding who I am. I could be this little powerless, I could be this little wimp over here, or I could understand that, no, no, I'm going to choose to do this. I, don't, I may not like it. Uh, it may be distasteful, but I'm going to do it in honor of my king. And when I get to this second mile, I'm going to blow their minds. Because I, I'm going to carry it one mile, and I'm going to carry it two miles. And I'm going to make a statement that I have the power to choose, to serve, to be someone who you can't make me be. Because God did not come necessarily to relieve me from the tyranny that's around me. He came to relieve me or to take me on a journey of pursuing the, and understanding and defeating the tyranny that's within me. That tyranny that's within me is a tyranny that is a journey to find who I really am. Oftentimes we live unconsciously incompetent lives. And when we have some moment of growth, pain comes into our life, chaos comes into our life, all our desire is to do is to, to solve it, to, to move from it, to get it back to normal. It takes us into this level of, of conscious incompetence. And most of us hate that. We, we hate that moment of, of chaos and, and anxiety and that kind of stuff. And, and so we, we want to run backwards and yet, Jesus offers us a life that says, no, I want you to be consciously competent. I, I want you to be in an area where you can choose to do the hard things because you know who you are. The beauty at the beginning of John's story about Jesus' life, which we'll talk about next week, is he, he says to those who, who, who begin to trust what Jesus says, that is, to, to live as if it's true. To those who begin to trust what Jesus says, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. And, and when we discover the beauty, the significance of that, that identity of being a child of God, where no one can rob us of anything, it's protected by our Father who gave us that right. No one can rob us. Whatever tyranny comes from the outside, it, it doesn't matter because the, the tyranny that was inside us is, is going away. And, and we're beginning to understand the center of where we are in our life. 
we're in, beginning to understand what it means to be a child of the Father. And so someone says, carry my pack one mile. Now I'll carry it too. I'll carry it too because I'd like to show you who I really am. I'm not your slave. I'm your servant. I didn't choose to be your slave. I'm choosing to be your servant. And I'm going to do something to you that I hope radically reorganizes what's going on inside you. Because my Father in heaven provides the strength and the, the sense of personhood, not you. You can't take it from me. You can't give it to me. Uh, it is unassailable in this world because it comes from another world. The courage that we need to pursue that journey that Jesus calls for us to do is a journey that pits two things against one another. Oftentimes, our anger toward God is, is related to this very thing. You see, we think of God as a person. We start on a spiritual journey because we're going to add a little God to our lives. We think of God as, as someone who's going to attack the chaos around us. And if I will do my do, if I will, you know, clean my life up, I'll kind of get myself together, I'll kind of, you know, do some things that make God happy, then he'll start addressing his job. He will calm the chaos that exists around me. And the fact is, is that most of us are pursuing, we, we want a sense of peace. We hear the Bible's call that, that God provides a peace, that provides a serenity, that provides a space where we feel whole. And yet, because we are constantly holding God accountable to calm the chaos around us, and we fail to step into the life that he wants that would give us the journey to calm the chaos within us. You see, it's that inner strength of, of learning, how is it that I love my enemies? And you say, you just don't know my enemies. If you knew my enemies, you wouldn't say that. But here's the deal. And, and we, could, we could go on a long time this morning. But that, this, this supper that Jesus had, the last supper, it's called the last supper because the last time he ate you know, dinner with his, his disciples. Um, and, and I think most of you know this, the general narrative, the story that, that takes place that Jesus is, is going to get arrested from that moment. Um, he's going to be tried that evening, and, and then he's going to be um, thrown into a kind of a dungeon jail. He's going to be tried again, and then he's going to be crucified the next day uh, in between two uh, common criminals, and, and he's going to die. Um, what's interesting about that is in this passage, just before we get the foot washing, the moment where Jesus shows us what what true power looks like. It says this. It says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already begun prompting Judas, the son of Simon Issachariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew that he had complete power from the Father. 
when the guys show up and they want to arrest him, they, you know, he says, who do you want? And they said, we want Jesus. And he says, I'm he. And it, it says they, they, they fall backwards. Maybe they fell down or something. You know, it's like, boom. And he asks, who do you want? He said, we, we, we want Jesus. He says, I'm, I'm him. You know, he, he could have done all kinds of things. And it's at, it's that moment where, where Peter shows us what uh, unpower looks like. You know the moment where Peter, the fisherman, grabs a sword and swings it at a guy and cuts off his ear. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, uh, you know, it's funny when you think about this. What's the, you, you think about he, was he, was Peter D'Artagnan? You know, he's like, grabs a sword, you know, just, just a little flick, flicks his ear off. But Peter's a fisherman. He didn't, I mean, the only thing he did is, you know, use a knife to, you know, cut fish up with. And so when Peter's swinging at this guy, he's probably swinging to cut his head off or whack him in the head, and the guy dodges it and just cuts his ear off. And for that, the guy gets his name in Scripture. You know, in, in this moment, Jesus, full of power, all power, does nothing. He submits. Peter pretending to have some type of human power, acts in the total opposite way. Jesus submits to his trials. He submits to the crucifixion. In fact, he submits to the tauntings of, hey, if you're who you say you are, jump down from there and strike us all. Jesus knew that there was power in submitting to his father who wanted his death to cancel the sins of the world. And so Paul tells us that he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient unto death. That's power. It's power, finding strength in understanding who I am and who the Father has created me to be and what purpose he's put me in this life and pursuing that purpose. There's power there. But the question I think remains for most of us is... Are we willing to step into the life that is the journey that it takes to find that power? Most of us want that power instantaneously. And for few of us, if any, it comes that way. Because we have lived a tyranny internally, a tyranny of making ourselves the core and the center of our life, our emotions as the supreme test of all that's right and true. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no. You have a Father in heaven who, who's given you some ideas of what, what life looks like. And, and here's how you would, you would pursue that. Simple steps of obedience. Simple steps of hearing from God, doing what he says. And you have a story then to share with others about God's activity in your world. That's, that's the journey and, and really the challenge, I think, for most of us this morning. As we think about this idea of power. We want it, but unfortunately we, we use it when we're least likely to use it in the ways that God intended for it to. And the reason is is because 
we've yet to step into that journey that embraces the challenge of the tyranny inside us. When we embrace that journey, God joins us and begins to disassemble that tyranny and, and change us in ways that we never thought possible. And it gives us the opportunity to find a kind of peace that Paul describes as passes all understanding. It's achievable. It's achievable in this world. It's achievable when we pursue the journey of embracing the new power that God gave us. Let's pray. Father, uh, these concepts are, are so difficult to get. Um, what does it look like to, to leave from a space this morning and, and to find a, a path, a journey that would, would cause me to embrace uh, the challenge of the tyranny that exists inside us? You've given us this book. You've given us community, men and women who are willing to do life with us and to be honest with us, reflect back what they see and feel, what it's like to sit on the other side of the table from us. Father, you've given us tools for that journey. But our culture drives us to a life of isolation. There is a satanic lie that we buy into that says that my spiritual life is private. And Satan would love for us to go to our death believing that. You created us for one another. You created us to live out loud. You created us to pursue the, the tyranny that exists inside us, to find a sense of true power that comes from our identity as your children. And so give us that courage to pursue that, Father. What does it take to break down those, those walls of isolation? What does it take to take off the mask and lean into a life that attacks the, the imposter image that, that I live by? Father, give us courage to pursue those kinds of things so that we might experience the joy and the peace and the, the wonder of life that you intended for us to enjoy. We're so addicted to pseudo-joy, to pseudo-peace, to the temporary things that are so fleeting. Father, give us the courage to pursue, pursue those things that are permanent, that last, that go beyond even our own understanding. Thank you. Thank you that Jesus both taught how to love our enemies. He demonstrated how to love our enemies even when his life was on the line. He trusted you even to the point of death. Father, give us, give us that, that kind of pursuit that Jesus had. We pray in his name. Amen.